Get an inside view of the latest private equity deals and the people behind them. And meet the people who make it happen. Welcome to Deal Junkie, cracking the private equity code. Host Kevin Fechtmeyer and the Deal Team 6 members interview company founders who have succeeded and some that haven't. Each show will feature lively interviews with company founders to find out whether there is a deal or no deal. Now here is Kevin Fechtmeyer and his team of experts. Hello. We are here at uh, uh, sunny Arizona, and uh, we've got a great guest this week. Uh, we've got Quinn Williams from Greenberg and Traurig, a leading law firm. And uh, he's probably one of the most experienced deal attorneys we've had in the market. And uh, this segment is a continuation of the same kinds of, uh, of segments we've had in the past where we're looking at entrepreneurs who are trying to raise capital and give them the straight poop on what it takes to make a deal happen and, and you know why do most deals fail and uh, when you've got high quality people advising you and helping you it uh, it greatly increases your chances of success and the the terms and the valuation you end up achieving uh, as an investor we always like to see a great attorney on the other side because that means that the owner of the business is realistic and he's also going to you know negotiate aggressively and there's a partner, uh, a future partner, we want uh, someone who is also thinking about uh, working with us when we're on the same side of the table as well. So first of all, um, let, let me introduce, you know, Quinn, can you hear me okay on the line here? I can hear you fine. Good morning, Kevin. Great, great. Well, we, we're going to dive into some questions and make this very interactive. Uh, yeah, you've got such a wealth of uh, background and different companies you've helped, uh, you know, grow and raise capital for so uh you know i'd like to just first let you talk a little bit about yourself and talk a little bit about greenberg and what you do in this entrepreneurial sector because it's a big firm and i always initially thought of you guys as as a major firm that dealt with you know fortune 1000 companies and when we started working together i was pleasantly surprised to see how you know how how, you know you really did have a very entrepreneurial bent in your practice so quinn please go ahead Well, thank you, Kevin. Um, Interesting program and uh, delighted to be with you today. Um, I've been a a lawyer in the uh, Phoenix market and in Chicago for close to 40 years, and my practice has primarily been M&A and then corporate uh, securities practice, particularly with the venture capital and and private equity raising. So... um, uh, Greenberg Trowig uh, was a terrific firm for me to join about 15, 17 years ago uh, because it has its roots in entrepreneurial businesses. Uh, it started as a smaller firm in the East Coast and uh, has uh, attracted a number of uh, great lawyers uh, in all sorts of uh, different practice groups, uh, but especially their their corporate M&A uh, private equity and venture capital groups, uh, they have uh, attracted just some real all-star folks that uh, recognize the value of having a large firm which with contacts and geographic reach. Um, and uh, it's it's been a great fit for me. Uh, our clients benefit from the fact we're in Silicon Valley, we're in all the money centers, New York, Chicago, San Francisco, Los Angeles. We represent a number of investment banking firms. In fact, we uh, just closed a deal for Goldman Sachs as our client uh, a couple of weeks ago toward the end of the year. So we have the connections which benefit our uh, 
our clients who are looking for uh, to transact a deal or to raise capital, we have the ability to uh, make introductions and to make sure that they don't waste time um, trying to sell a package that we know yeah. won't work. So now, it's Quinn, a good, Quinn, a good entrepreneurial the, firm. Those are really big and impressive names, but I, I got to say they're a little scary. How do you, how do you service a company that is both Goldman Sachs uh, size and also really you know, $50 million or midsize. I mean, that's sure. a big sure. cultural gap. How do you bridge that? Well, it, you know, not all transactions are super large, even for uh, a large investment banking firm. They have different groups. Um, and uh, you'd be surprised. But, you know, those are obviously the marquee names. There's lots of other mid-market uh, firms as well that, that we do a business with. Um, and and so it's it's really we have certain people in the firm that specialize in what I would call some like uh, an AstraZeneca transaction last year that constantly work on those larger transactions and then we have a group uh, that work in the what I call the mid market and then we have lawyers that are specialized more in the venture capital so the firm has got a degree of specialization um, and we have lawyers within the firm that specialize in the different parts of the uh, iBanking and, and financial services markets. Well, uh, well it's clear that you guys have a, have a ton of experience. I want to sort of lay out the show for the listeners and then you can you know plan accordingly because there's a lot of stuff to cover. I, I, I wanted to really talk about how you prep for uh, a, a deal. What, what does a company need to look at? And there's long list of things I know we're going to talk about there. And then I want to have another segment, uh, probably the third segment, where I really want to get into what are the craziest and dumbest things you've ever seen done, which uh, sure. there's a there's a, a very large uh, uh, you know, universe to choose from. I can't tell you how, how frequently we see uh, deal killer lawyers. It's uh, it's amazing that, that, you know, I think it may be a litigation background or something where they – believe that 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 they can add value by you know maximizing the the number of comments on a document or you know being as aggressive as possible and you know when you negotiate typically three to five major points suddenly you get this list of 30 items that you need to negotiate and i can see you know when the law the legal bills start to skyrocket when that happens and you know i i I think that the peril, the deal's in peril when the lawyer doesn't proportion, you know, make make the issues well, proportional in the mind of the client. So I want to dive into that, you know, as well. Yeah, I, 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 I frankly, um, I, that happens in a much limited sense than I than it used to. It used to be a lot. I used to see that a lot in my younger part of my career when uh, you were doing smaller deals. With larger deals, Kevin. Uh, uh, usually, the clients are sophisticated enough. They know they need a team of advisors that are terrific. So, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't see it as much as I used to, but it does exist. Yeah, we we see it an awful lot. I think we're usually the front lines. Um, we're looking at transactions for companies that twenty to fifty million in sales. They're just getting to their second generation of management, and they're just having their first uh, founder, uh, you know, create a succession plan. Um, and, you know, I, I think in the final segment, I, I want to dive into some of the hot buttons in today's, uh, you know, legal world where, you know, they can come out of the blue and you and I are familiar with some of them. 
uh, environmental uh, can pop up at any point. And then you've got uh, the HR world, which is, you know, obviously yeah. li- littered with issues, you know, not not the least of which is, you know, embodied in the Me Too campaign going around the Internet, uh, which has really uncovered a lot of, of issues and problems that existed in the workplace. And uh, h- how do you deal with that that kind of stuff as, as a, as a yeah. counselor to these firms? And the last thing in their mind is creating a new bureaucracy to monitor everyone's emails and behaviors when you're rapidly growing company but kind of what are the bare minimum things you'd recommend as a lawyer to to, to yeah. address on okay. these fundamental issues so when we get back to the, the I think we've got a, a break coming up in about 20 seconds but I just want to lay do the lay of the land uh, for the uh, listeners so you can you know I, I think you know give real life examples of these kinds of issues and how you advise your CEO clients to deal with them because it's it's become really epidemic how unprepared some of these folks are and and uh, how important good counsel is uh, to yeah. to keep a, a transaction going. Yeah. All right. Good. Okay. Thanks. All right. We've got uh, the break coming up, and uh, when we get back, we will be ready to talk about the worst things you've ever seen done to create a deal. Thanks again. Appreciate your uh, your time here, Quinn. Okay. Thanks, Kevin. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. It's time to take charge of your own career path. But how do you get started? First, tune in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. Each show will feature national business leaders, tips and insight from Marie and her guests, career management tools, and a weekly career smart tip. She'll help you move forward, earn that promotion, get hired into the career you want, and brand yourself. The Career Confidant is broadcast live every Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. In your business, are you on top of your PR game? PR is what tells your story. Whether it's the business itself, key people in your business, or showing your best face to the public, listen for the brand ambassadors. Host Merritt Hamilton Allen with co-host Gary Potterfield will discuss effective presentation ideas, building your personal brand, risk management, crisis communication, and more. Focus your business goals and PR resources. Listen live Fridays at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Deal Junkie. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to questions at cavecreekcapital.com. Now, back to Deal Junkie. Welcome back, listeners. We've got uh, Quinn Williams here from Greenberg Traurig, and we're about ready to dive into the most interesting part of the show, which is what are the dumbest things you've ever seen a company do that could create a private equity deal? So, Quinn, uh, please dive in. Sure. Um, Thanks, Kevin. Uh, Well, of course, my clients haven't done anything dumb. 
uh, nor have <laughs> I on a deal. But uh, what I've seen in other deals, um, it, it's it it really starts with uh, if you're going to execute a transaction and you know this and other people you've had on your program, it's a team approach. Um, and you have to assemble a, a board of resources, of lawyers, accountants, uh, if you've got a broker or brokers involved uh, that, that know the space and that clearly have an understanding of the rhythm of a transaction and how it's processed. But um, usually what happens is if you haven't assembled a good deal, uh, more than not, you may end up doing something that's uh, hazardous and, and going to, you know, crater the deal. Um, yeah, the, the, the first... let, let me ask a quick statistical question. When they first come to you, middle market companies, what percentage of them are ready for a private equity deal? I would say less less than 10%. Okay. That, that would be my guess as well. Um, yeah. Let's start from the beginning. What is, What is it that you tell the things the, them to do for the things that they need to do to get ready for private equity. Um, well, uh, obviously, and they, and they kind of dovetail a little bit with some of the dumb things that they 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 don't do. But uh, you know, the first thing we tell them is, "Are you ready?" Um, and by what we mean by that is, uh, here's a diligence list of things that a buyer is going to want to look at as part of the sale and top of that list is your financial statements and are they clean do you have personal businesses mixed in with the business you want to sell and you know uh, have you have you engaged in transactions that uh, you know may be suspect or were not recorded properly on the on the financials so you know we, we try to walk them through the process what they're going to be asked to do and and if they haven't already started some of that process, if they haven't, you know, gone through a, a scrub of their financials and 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 haven't looked at their their contracts, uh, if they have a customer concentration issue, have they tried to get binding contracts in place and and provide a uh, some assurance that there's something to sell and transfer? Um, these are the types of examples of things that we have a discussion about. And last but not least, and you know this probably better than anybody, is, you know, why do you want to sell? Are you really committed to selling? Or are you just trying to put your toe in the water to see what you can get? Um, and, if it's the, and if we think it's the latter, we know we can't add a lot of value to that because they're, they're not serious sellers. They're, they're people that are, uh, want to test the waters and test the market. And, and uh, if that's the case, um, we don't want to go through that process with them because it's not in their best interest to do that. Yeah, we, we would agree. I mean, both the legal and the business end tend to blend. But when they don't have documents, basic corporate documents, that's usually a problem, and I, you know, we've worked on some deals together, Quinn, and you know, where entrepreneurial companies they come together in a hodgepodge. They've got LLCs here, they've got sub S's there, they've right. got C corps, yeah. and and boy, how how do you clean that up? How how important is it to clean some of that? What are some of the prep things that you tell them to do in that area? Yeah. Well, you know, it, it some of the some of the dumb things that that usually happen uh, relate to those items, and you know they they 
they self-sabotage. Uh, we're in the midst of a diligence. We've had a letter of intent executed, and uh, you know they, you know they they just they ask me a question. Well, do I have to disclose this and do I have to disclose that? And you know we had this business in the company, but we sold it to my buddy, and uh, you know we still owe him some money. And um, you know it's it's the the business trail is very hard to see from the financials, and 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 you know we we know that if if they're not out front and making those disclosures to a potential buyer, whether it's a PE firm or a strategic player, um, and and they happen to find out about it and it's material. Uh, it's going to crater the deal. It's going to break the uh, trust that uh, a potential buyer would have in a seller. So, uh, you know, it seems to me the, the the by having these different businesses or hodgepodge of companies or some personal assets mixed into the company, um, they need to obviously lay that out for people and make sure that they have full disclosure. Um, it may be difficult to explain. There may be ways that we can restructure the company. Uh, we can talk about this with the environmental issue, that you can restructure the company before you engage in the sale process um, to uh, isolate the business that you are selling to make sure that it's not uh, complicated, the financial statement presentations, if you, if you restructure it ahead of time. Quinn, Quinn, you said something very important about a minute ago, and I want to go back to this. Uh, the, the topic was disclosure. I, I got to tell you, I always feel better when there's a lawyer, a uh, highly credible lawyer on the other side that is doing some of the homework that we normally do ourselves, just in terms of background checkings and, and so on and so forth. We, I mean, I can tell you one situation where, you know, we thought it was a, a firm that was, you know, well represented, and it turned out that, that we found out later that, Council had resigned, but uh, you know we ran out to you know fly to New York from the West Coast to meet this exciting team, and it was you know optically a very exciting deal. And the individual you know said, "Well, this other you know firm dropped. They, they really didn't understand the story. So you know, there's this opportunity for you to invest. I think it was over twenty million dollars or something like that." And we got into the the uh, conference room. You know, after an overnight flight, and he then proceeded to tell us that, he, you know, he had a couple glitches in his background, and one of which he had been a guest of the federal government for the last three years. And so, <laughs> it took me about two seconds. Oh yeah, guest of the oh, federal. Yeah. that was the first time I had ever heard that term for going to prison. <laughs> but anyway, uh, had I got to tell you, I, 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 having just. That's such a rare occurrence, by the way. But having a credible counsel who does the the basic blocking and tackling before a private equity firm gets involved is is so critical. How when you go in and do new client, you know, checks and so forth, just off the top of your head, would you know what percentage of the the these companies have you know skeletons in the closet of that type? Well, I don't I don't often see uh, those types of records. I I I you know we do see. Uh, situations where people have been part of a bankrupt bankruptcy before, and of course that sticks with a disclosure on on, a, on any financial institution or financial services deal. Um, we we've we rarely we don't our client intake process is sophisticated enough that we're probably not the right place if you've had a 
an SEC problem or SEC investigation or the state of Arizona has sued you for selling securities, uh, bad uh, things like that that relate to financial services transactions. You know, we we do a pretty sophisticated check, uh, as most large firms do. Um, and, And part of that's done that, you know, it's the same issue for you. You have to trust the client. Um, and uh, you have to be very careful about client intake because uh, um, if they haven't told you, they probably haven't told us about something. And that's that's it happens. Uh, luckily, very rarely because we we try to go through the business and the plan very very closely with them and try to get references on clients and see the toll management team. Um, we had a client. Uh, intake a couple months ago that uh, had great board of directors uh, and a great uh, CEO, but the CFO had some significant issues in his past, and and uh, we were very upfront with the client. We said, you know, that's going to make it difficult when you're going to sell the company if members of your management team, particularly in the financial services area, have had some um, problems uh, in public record. That's going to raise a red flag for, you know, people like a PE firm or a, or an investor base. They're 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 mm-hmm. you're, you're going to make it make it a much harder deal to do if if you try to present that management team to the to the proposed buyer. Yeah, no, that's and, uh, clearly that's why it's so important for you guys to get involved early. I think because. You know, if we go down the path and we think that checking's been done, and then you spend a lot of money on transaction costs, and then find out, yeah, it, it's it's pretty rare. But we just we have a high standard yeah. now, where it's not a top firm. We do our reference checking early. We had a group that had told us they were getting reference checked. We we're working with an insurance company about 15 years ago in New York with a about a 25 million dollar investment, and then. Um, they found something in their background checking a week before closing where the CFO, to your point, uh, had been criticized in a legal uh, you know, a document. He was not actually a defendant, but he could have been. And then if you read the document, you know, the judge felt he should have been you know, reprimanded or even part of the defendant. And, and of course, his argument for not telling us was that it didn't matter that he wasn't convicted. And I always think, <laughs> well, <laughs> disclo- okay. just disclose it. It's, it's not the crime. It's the cover-up. It, had he gone uh-huh. forth to this investment committee and said, you know what, I, I did have a problem and, and this is how I dealt with it. This is, you know, my judgment on where it came out and, you know, I made a mistake or I didn't make a mistake, whatever the, the, you know, the judgment is, they could do the reference check and they could get involved. But having it come up as a surprise in the week before closing, that was it. That's, that's, the, that's, the, the deal, that's, the deal cratered. Uh, well, we had a, we had a deal where a, a strategic was buying an auto parts firm um, that had operations in China. And uh, we uh, had signed the document. We hadn't closed and uh, the diligence in China didn't come up very good uh, for the owner, and apparently he had a silent partner in the deal, and he denied it all the way up to the closing. Oh, and uh, you know we had we we hired we have an office in China which was nice, but we hired I think Ian Y to do some checking and pull some records mm-hmm. and had our folks we, do some checking. We got, and, we got and, twenty we got twenty seconds we can continue, but did the deal close or not? I'm just curious. No, we uh, we it didn't close, and the PE firm 
strategic, our, our client, we sued him uh, for misrepresentation and to recover our legal and other diligence costs, which were probably close to a million dollars because it was so long in the process wow. that we had real damages, and we recovered them. Um, it wow. took a long time, and it was a painful thing. But, uh, you, you know, the reason to get, if you're not, you, you, you're going to be a partnership with these management teams, and management teams and owners have to understand, to your point, if you've got something that's going to be raised eyebrows, yeah. disclose I it could. up front. You're singing to the choir here, but I think we've got a breakdown. We're going to come back and with more fun, to, uh, more fun stories to, to learn uh, how not to do things. Right. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Each week, Larry Sternberg joins Dr. Kim Turnage to explore management issues from culture to discipline in Managing to Make a Difference. Join Talent Plus for 60 minutes of dynamic conversation, including real-life management examples helping you manage teams across the globe. This series airs on Voice America, the business channel, Thursdays at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. Managing to Make a Difference every Thursday afternoon with Larry Sternberg and Dr. Kim Turnage. Today we live in a truly global environment. Business can more easily be conducted now in almost any part of the world. How do you, as a business owner or professional, navigate the ever-changing business landscape? Tune in to Leadership Beyond Borders with host Kimberly J. Lewis. With a worldwide resource of guests, you'll find out what opportunities and challenges surround diverse and virtual organizations. Listen live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Alcohol contributes to America socially, economically, and culturally. But alcohol also impacts our health, safety, and quality of life. On Alcohol Across America, each week we present recurring issues related to community, liability litigation, social and college drinking, and the alcohol industry. Join host Dr. Brad Krever and his co-hosts every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Deal Junkie. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to questions at cavecreekcapital.com. Now, back to Deal Junkie. Hello, this is Kevin Feckmeyer back here with Quinn Williams of Greenberg Traurig. And we've got uh, lots and lots of examples of things that are doing uh, of, of what not to do in a transaction. I want to go through a couple more uh, and then go into the example of things you should do. And I think this is instructive for every entrepreneur that wants to sell their company or do a private equity deal. But um, transparency was the topic of the last session and what uh, you should disclose and what you shouldn't disclose or how you should disclose it and what happens when you don't. And what I think now is important to go into is, you know, not just transparency, but, you know, what, you know, proactively, you know, what, 
what is it that you really need to know um, before you go into a deal legally? And I, I think the one example, Quinn, that I raised before was an example where, where, where there's a lot of complexity. So, you know, how do you deal with complexity up front? And, you know, what, you know, how much tax work up front? Because I think what we're seeing a lot of is companies that get, you know, a real clever tax idea that work super well for a single proprietorship and a company with less than $10 million of sales. They suddenly have success beyond their original hopes and dreams. And suddenly, They've got a sub S structure or some other structure which just doesn't work. Um, right. Talk doesn't, talk doesn't talk work. about that. You know the that yeah, side I'd be, of the I'd be I'd be happy to. In fact, I just uh, had a Q sub election deal, which was a small company selling to a PE firm. But you know, I think it starts really at, at the beginning. You made a comment. Um, you know, if they've hired the right advisors, um, they should also talk to companies that have gone through the process before. Um, and you know they they the the people that seem to execute good strategies they there's two things that always happen one they've already they they've they've cleaned up their company they anticipated it they started at least a year before they started uh shopping the company to make sure that they executed this strategy they had the right advisors uh, they talked to other companies that had gone through this process. Uh, they had their financials scrubbed. They got employment agreements done. They got customer contracts done. And, and they really had it all packaged so that when they went to market to sell or to raise capital, um, they, they avoided a lot of these potential issues. And tax is something that uh, uh, we have tax lawyers that do nothing but uh, M&A transactions, and, and it's it's often that we are called upon as a firm, even though you have tax counsel that that does the entrepreneurial company, they're not uh, they're not aware of a lot of the parts of the code that deal with step up and basis and liquidation and so forth. So um, it's very important, I think, when you get a term sheet and you understand what the buyer is looking for. Um, that you do have adequate tax counsel um, that understands not just what your taxes are, but understand what it means to the corporate structure. Because with the right tax strategy, and this is kind of the most important comment to deliver in this area, you, is you can add a lot of value to the company. Because as you said, buyers don't want to work with, with S-Corps. Uh, they just they're 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 very difficult to deal with, and so you are have you have ability to get rid of an S corp uh, as part of a Q sub election under the code, um, and in this transaction we just closed in December, we had to do that, and we actually converted our client entity from an Arizona corp into a Delaware LLC, which is a which is another corporate. Uh, uh, Requirement that probably only sophisticated firms do many of these transactions, and and we we were very knowledgeable. But it added a tremendous amount of value to the company, to the buyer, because it it basically allowed for a step up on the assets, and the and the buyer did not want to do a deal; he wanted an asset deal, obviously mm-hmm. for accounting and tax considerations, well, as well as liability. Really, you you've got. I mean, I I love this uh, as. A- 
area of value added. I, we're delving a little bit into our accounting segment, which uh, we're going to deal with some of this topic, but I okay. wanted to understand from a legal perspective, you know, the advice is clearly to look at your tax structure and your legal structure before you dive into a transaction uh, or begin hiring advisors and paying lots of money. Um, I, I think you started to go down the path of a second uh, topic, which is employment agreements and so forth, because that's also where I think a lot of mistakes get made, where there's a, an understanding of an equity stake that's never been documented. Whoops. Yeah, um, there's, yeah. a, there's a lot of verbals. Uh, then there's, you know, then there's usually maybe a key salesperson or two that is much more valuable to the business than the founder maybe wants to admit. And so getting that stuff papered is is also critically Absolutely. important. How, how do Absolutely you, you agree. Know, yeah, tell, tell me well, what, what one thing that went well and one thing that didn't go well in that area with you. Yeah, well, it would, would, one of the issues that uh, you are aware of that if, if you're going to share some of the equity payments, whether a phantom stock plan or a, or a real stock plan with employees, you have lots of issues that pop up, including concerns from a buyer that, well, he's a key guy and he's going to make several million dollars as part of the transaction. I don't, we don't want him leaving and uh, uh, we want him to stay. And so uh, making sure that um, if you have partners in the business that are key employees, that you at least have some early discussions, and we do this with them, that you know the buyer's probably going to require you to reinvest back in the business and carry some equity, um, which is probably good for you because you can make a lot of money uh, on the second takeout or second sale. But uh, you know, having these employment agreements, particularly non-compete and confidentiality provisions, they they are important because I think the buyer assesses value based on the fact that these folks are not going to leave and not compete against us. Um, and that we want to make sure as a condition of closing the deal that the new man, the new buyer gets the benefit of having the old management team under contract for several, for a period after the closing to evaluate them and to make sure that they're, they're there. So um, it, it's important that you... As, a, as an entrepreneur, that you have your key em, key employees in the tent with you, um, because I think having a management team that you can deliver that is a quality management team adds tremendous value to the business. And uh, most Everybody, private equity uh, firms don't want to buy it. Quick, Quinn, I, I couldn't agree with you more. That's you know absolutely right out of the script of what every good lawyer advises a company. Let me hit to the heart of the matter of somewhat of a controversial subject today, particularly given the media around Harvey Weinstein. Um, (laughs) You know, uh, and I think you and I have have, have in the past seen some things like this, Um, but what if you have a really talented manager, you know, a top manager is vital to the business, and then you get a, you know, phone call there, whoops, you know, he's been having an affair with one of the, you know, other, other employees. And, how do you deal with that? What, what, as a private equity person, I kind of know what, what we need to see happen. But as a lawyer, what is it that you need to see? And what would you recommend to the board of that company if that yep. disclosure yeah. came up during a process? Well, luckily, it, it's... 
it, let me let me set let me usually, set the stage. They, they usually come it, up before the it sale. Can either of the be, company. It can either be hostile or consensual, but there's a lot of gray area around that too. I I want to you know stress that you know there's probably a couple different ways, but go go with maybe one of the examples okay. you've had in the past. Well, well, uh, as I said. Um, these situations do arise with clients. Um, we have labor lawyers that are are extremely uh, uh, well uh, experienced in these matters, and um, you know we 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 really get them with an expert like a labor lawyer to walk through it. But most it's usually a matter of what the company policy is. And surprisingly, there aren't many companies that have a, they may have a sexual harassment policy, but they don't have a policy on fraternization or other things. Um, so, you know, we, you know, the, the first thing we do, if it's a superior, superior subordinate relationship, um, our advice is, is pretty clear. You're going to have to change that and either, um, remove one or the other uh, from the company because that subjects the company. And nobody's going to buy a company, Kevin, as you know, that has the potential for a sexual harassment claim. And that's the fear that these relationships don't end well and they subject the company to a later sexual harassment claim that uh, is is very potentially expensive uh, and also uh, takes attention away from the company. So um, yeah, how much? How you much know, do you think it cost uh, Weinstein's company in value? I mean, I, I, I mean, I, it was hundreds of millions of dollars, reputationally, yeah. because of such a damaging uh, event and a damaging disclosure. It just these things. I, I guess my point would be, from a private equity standpoint, it you can't. It, it, there's a zero tolerance policy for us, and right, right. and as a lee as a lawyer, you 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 know you have to help you know, educate the company as to how important. It is not just from the politics of it, um, but also from the reality, the financial reality of it. Yeah. And in most cases, um, the advice is there's, a, there's generally a, a policy that both parties have violated, and, and it pretty much ends up as a termination of both parties in those cases. Wow. Um, and, well, uh, of course, that hurts the value of the company. <laughs> Yeah, and I had to bring it up because it's so topical, and you know we've all had different levels of experience. Although very, I don't think I've ever seen anything as egregious as, as the Weinstein companies. But um, but let's go back and in in our last segment, I want to talk a little bit about companies that are doing it well. Now I want to I want to hear about some of the wow factor that you've seen for companies that have handled you know the preparation for a private equity deal exceptionally well. Or parts of it exceptionally well, and and you know what what surprised you on the upside, as you you know got to know the company and your client better. And I'll I'll throw some examples as well, um, okay. from a legal and business standpoint. So that's coming I'm up. Happy to. Okay. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
You hear about it all the time. Compromises, destructive malware, major breaches. You can't turn on the news without hearing about the latest cyber event. Learn more about cybersecurity, how it has become one of the most significant threats to our national security, and the battle experts undergo every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Task Force 7 Radio with host George Redis is the voice of cybersecurity around the world. Tune in live every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Deal Junkie. To reach the show today, call in to 1 866 472 5790. Again, that's 1 866 472 5790. You may also send an email to questions at cavecreekcapital.com. Now, back to Deal Junkie. Hey, welcome back. This is uh, Kevin Feckmeyer with uh, Quinn Williams of Greenberg and Tarig, and we are here for the final segment to, of the episode, which we have titled Legal Landmines and Private Equity and How to Avoid Them. Uh, we uh, have we've talked about a lot of them. Um, and we talked about the ones that, that were stepped on. Qu- Quinn, let's talk about the ones that were avoided. How, how, how been some, just give me a couple examples of companies that really took tough situations and, and, and dealt with them well. Yeah. Well, um, I agree with you. Most transactions that, that we handle once we get to a letter of intent stage, we've, we've, We've got a high degree of closing. I mean, in the 90s percent, because uh, the the if you have the the resources and the board of advisors around you, um, you've been able to anticipate potential issues and anticipate problems. And you know, we had a, a deal. We represented Alpine Bakery, I think, three years ago, and and uh, they were a, a great example of a small company that was just getting into the organic bakery space. They worked over a year uh, to get the company uh, ready for sale. Uh, they hired some key positions. They documented their vendor contracts. They created uh, some. They got their financial house uh, organized along business lines, and and you know had a fair amount of data. Had some consultants. Uh, I know you you've had Mark Sandroff on. 
but good consultants that could walk them through and get them ready. And that transaction uh, was anticipated to sell at a at a at a multiple. Um, uh, you know, in the fours and the fives, and it sold at a much higher multiple. I think close to seven or eight. So, um, you know, the 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 benefits of getting prepared ahead of time and taking the necessary steps to build the organization so that a buyer will see value in it, I think, is a is a good news story, and it's the, it's the way to do it. We also have problems with companies like there's a lawsuit pending or something like that and or there's an environmental problem and uh we have been successful in in uh coming up with strategies to either remove the offending lawsuit uh uh getting you know the company sort of isolated in terms of its liability and so that a new buyer is not going to take uh any liability concerns about that lawsuit or we have environmental insurance uh for environmental issues that uh obviously you're going to be a concern for a new buyer um, we represented uh, I represented Circle K many many years ago and and they had a lot of environmental issues with their convenience stores so um, you anticipate you devise a strategy so when you go to market the PE firm knows you've thought about it and that you uh, you, you have a strategy in place to uh, make sure that it's dealt with so it's not going to affect the transaction yeah people seem to think that uh, and I hate to say it because some lawyers are a cost but you know the benefits when you can quantify them like that are pretty dramatic any good advisor will will tell you and a lot of this is you know the show here is you know uh Quinn we've talked before is about getting the you know 10% of the companies that are ready for private equity ready and that's one of the reasons we have the deal team 6 we've got some very talented people like Mark Sandroff, who do some uh, coaching well beforehand to prepare a company for sale for some of these issues, legal and otherwise. We've got uh, industry experts. Uh, we've got folks that, that can bring uh, operating and, uh, and marketing expertise typically to fill in some holes, whether it's finance or marketing. But it's people that can, can help prep the company for a transaction. I, I got to tell you that the average company works literally uh, between two and four years to prep for a, 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 a real transaction. We, we right. find when they, when they rush out and the average middle market company is encountering the same kind of things you're describing, um, it, it, it's really, it's been an average of two to four years between getting to you know, be introduced to a company and then them going through all the, the motions to get ready and closing a deal. And I, I don't know what's been your experience for, you know, people yeah, like think, this. I think the the people that uh, are financial advisors or brokers or consultants like uh, Mark, uh, others, they, they you, you need to get ready. This is the biggest transaction of the entrepreneur's life. Uh, it's going to be the, the in most cases the largest financial transaction, and uh, you know it's not something. Uh, that you can execute in a haphazard fashion, um, and you need to you need to plan for it. And you know we uh, we often talk about uh, you know uh, anticipating issues, anticipating problems, and um, obviously for cost and other reasons, lawyers are brought in more toward the end of the deal. So the front end of the deal with these advisors is extremely important. 
Um, and it also, one thing you didn't mention, but is the psychology of the transaction and how it's going and how does it affect your company and your team. And um, that, that psychology uh, of a seller, um, as you said, some lawyers uh, think everything will go wrong and, and we never get a deal done. And some lawyers understand what market is and basically assure the book, their clients that what the PE firm is asking for is what any other PE firm is going to ask for. It's market. And, you know, if you're going to sell your company, you're just going to, uh, this is not going to be a term that we're going to negotiate uh, or try to change. Uh, there are other ones we can, but, you know, I think it's just educating your clients about the deals and how the deals go and what to expect um, really separates the, the deal lawyers from the uh, guys that just do it on a part-time mm-hmm. basis. And, you know, it's very it's mm-hmm. very painful for entrepreneurs to hire people like mm-hmm. that. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. you know, they don't know if they've got a deal. <laughs> the PE firm's pushing back and people are walking away from them. And uh, we had a client the uh, in 2016 that came to me and his, the broker sent him to me. And for that very reason, he said, you know, we've had two term sheets. We haven't been able to execute on either one of them. And, uh, you know, it was uh, it was painful to see all the money and time and expense this company wow. had gone through um, because they had a they had an advisor that frankly was just not experienced how to mm-hmm. how to uh, execute a transaction yeah. so well Quinn, um, Quinn in, the, in the last couple of minutes you know t- uh, there's always a handful of key issues which you want to fight for or not fight for and you know where what when you advise a client what are the issues where you tend to advise compromise and what are the issues you tend to advise you know the client to stand firm and fight yeah, I'd say there are two 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 areas. I'm, I uh, the two things we want our clients to focus on is one financial price um, terms when they're going to get the price, and then the second area um, is how do you keep the money? Um, you know, <laughs> some PE firm may pay you five million dollars, but you know your 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 reps and warranties are hanging out there for. A long time, or you have a escrow. Let's say the the market's eighteen months. You've got an escrow for five years. Um, you know you're kind of in a situation where um, you know you want to you want to protect your client so that once he does a deal, he's off the liability after a certain part of time, and he doesn't have to keep looking over his shoulder um, and uh, think he's got he's going to get creamed on the on the installment at last installment or the escrow so you know we really tell the client it's not about winning 100 percent of the ideas and the terms it's about getting the price you want and then having liability issues indemnity issues terminate at a reasonable period of time so that you don't have to keep looking over your shoulder uh, if something comes up three to four years later with the company that the buyer uh, thinks oh gee it's your fault seller so uh, those are the two areas that uh, you know I tend to focus on: is let's get the most amount of uh, purchase price for the company, and then let's limit your down, your liability on a post-closing basis, so that you know you're going to keep that money and not have to be subject to claims post-closing. Yeah. Well, that's good advice, and I think we, you take it from the private equity firm's perspective in the same way. And clearly, having a top you know, legal counsel during a deal to hone in on the, just the handful of issues that really matter is, in our opinion, in our history, over 36 transactions has been the difference between someone getting a deal done and not getting a deal done. Um, and so your your advice and counsel is really uh, 
really valuable, and we appreciate your time here on the show today. Oh, it was uh, fun. Brent, th- thank you very much. It was enjoyable, uh, and I'm, I'm, it's all you and I always talk. It's fun to talk about deals, and I know you've got some great war stories, and I'm sure I'll, I'll be listening to future episodes to hear about them. <laughs> all right, we'll keep it PG. Great. Thanks. <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you for tuning in to Deal Junkie, cracking the private equity code. Be sure to join Kevin Fechtmeyer and the Deal Team 6 for another edition next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a nice week.